Well, we're going to start something today, and we're going to wrap it up on uh, next Sunday morning. And uh, our subject matter is the believer's responsibility to their pastor and their local church. What the Bible has to say about the believer's responsibility to their pastor and to their local church. So go ahead to 1 Corinthians 12 as we get started here today. And, um, and I believe that the Lord is going to uh, really uh, plant some good seed in our heart. I believe that uh, for, for those of us who have uh, known some things, we're going to know it better than we've known it before. It's going to get solidified, crystallized, uh, deeply embedded even further into our hearts. And for those of us who may be new to the kingdom of God, uh, uh, new to uh, church, new to what it's all about to even have a pastor, I believe that the Lord's going to go ahead and give you some clear instructions that will get you started on the right road in your Christian life. And things that if you hold on to them, they'll keep you steady going forward. Can I hear an amen? amen. First Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll just dive right on in. Uh, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 12 says this. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Let's read it again. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And what we want to do, just lay a little foundation here before we build the house on top of the foundation. But one thing that is so important for us to realize, and I know pastors alluded to this in uh, recent time, and, and I believe it's something that just needs to be very much solidified in the heart, is that God is the one who needs to have the final say-so on where we go to church and who our pastor is. That God is the one who determines that. Sometimes you see little signs or advertisements, go ahead and worship at the church of your choice. And the problem is, is that uh, if we make that choice, we may not make the right choice. Because the head of the church knows better what you need than you know what you need. And uh, one interesting thing and an example that's real close to home for us is that back in 1989, when Pastor John and Anita and their family were looking for a church, he was very much inclined to go to church somewhere else. He knew about FCC, but he had a pastor who he had a good relationship with that, that he could have just joined and... Uh, uh, hooked up with just like that. And uh, if it was totally up to him, he was very inclined to do that. But something inside his heart let him know that he should be here. Now, after all these 23 years have come and gone and we look back, can you say that you're glad that he listened to that little something on the inside of him? Amen. Amen. It's interesting 
that, you know, we think that when God's communicating something regarding our destiny, that he's just going to write that one in the sky. But that's not always the case. A lot of times you're just following a little something, a little leading, a little nudge, shall we say, inside of you can ultimately be something that leads you to destiny down the road. But because Pastor John heeded that prompting of the Holy Ghost and his spirit, even though it was not his first choice, you can see how important that was for where we're at today and what we're experiencing in this house today with Pastor John as our senior pastor. You see, men of God don't put themselves in position. As a matter of fact, when someone's self-anointed and self-appointed, those are the ones you need to look out for. Mm-hmm. Hey. Men of God, women of God don't put themselves in a position. The Holy Ghost makes them overseers. As a matter of fact, let me remind you of the, the wording of Acts twenty twenty eight. You can just write that reference down. But Paul t- told the Ephesian church, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So it's the Holy Spirit who put the leaders of that Ephesian church in position to oversee the church. It's the Holy Ghost who makes the determination to separate someone to a ministry office. Acts 13, 2, another great reference to put down, says that as there was five guys gathered together, list five five names there. It starts with Barnabas and ends with Saul, who we know better as Paul. And it said that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Ghost separated them. The Holy Ghost is the one who called them. As a matter of fact, Pastor Joseph in his message on Wednesday night made reference to this. Jeremiah in his book, chapter 3, verse 15, he says that I will give you pastors according to my heart. Uh, Some translations read pastors, some read shepherds, but it's the same thing. When you call uh, uh, your your pastor, Pastor John, you, you know that the word pastor means shepherd. So when you're calling someone pastor, you're saying, I'm one of the sheep. Someone say, bah. (laughs) Jeremiah said, I'll give you shepherds and pastors according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So understand this, that the pastors and any other ministry gift does not put themselves in that office. The Holy Spirit does. But you see, others in the body of Christ recognize when someone has been called to an office. Because it's real simple. 
that you can have multiple radios, but if they're all tuned into the same station, they'll get the same signal. And so when someone's really called, other members of the body of Christ with the Holy Ghost dwelling inside of them are just as much aware of the fact that that person is called as they are themselves. You recognize it. You see it. Because the same spirit who called them resides in you. And and so you see, this is not about self-appointed and self-anointed. This is about people who are called of God and other members of the body of Christ who have the Holy Spirit inside of them and are tuned in to the Holy Spirit recognize the gift and the calling of God in somebody. Because believe me, there's a lot of people that call themselves something, but you can put any old (laughs) label on a can and call it something. You know, I mean... Uh, it, it, it's not the label on the can that determines what's in, in the can. It's the contents inside. Are you with me? And some people have been wearing a label for a long time, but there's no contents in the can to support the label. In other words, some got sent and some just got up and went. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, thank the Lord that we here in this house with our pastor, we realize he's not just wearing the label of pastor, but we have the witness inside of us that there's the contents in the can to support the label. Hallelujah. You know, um, one thing that, that God is very much into, and we need to be very aware of, is God is into divine connections. Someone say divine connections. You can look through the Bible and I mean just to name a few. You see the widow woman who connected with the prophet Elijah. You see Elisha who connected with Elijah. Timothy who connected to Paul. Ruth who connected to Naomi. And David who connected to Jonathan just to name a few. As a matter of fact, how important is a divine connection? A divine connection is so important that it doesn't just affect the two people that are connected, but it affects people even long after that. Jonathan and David were connected, and Jonathan died, and yet that connection was still very real. David said one day, is there anybody in Jonathan's household left that I can do good for them and do good to them? And found out about a little lame boy, a son of Jonathan named Mephibosheth. Who ended up thinking that the king was out to get him so the king could have his head. Because he was the grandson of the former king. That being King Saul. But no, instead of the king having his head, King David wanted to show good, show blessing. Give the food of his table to this young man named Mephibosheth. Why? Because there was a divine connection between David and Jonathan. And so therefore, that connection went on. There there was that initial rock dropped in the pond, but there were ripples. Someone say ripples. Don't think about potato chips right now. Ripples. Hey, hallelujah. And and how the, the effect 
of a divine connection can be felt beyond that initial connection. And Mephibosheth can testify. I can testify too. Because I know that in my life, I was blessed to have a divine connection with two people named Reverend Sam and Donna Smith. Which led to another connection. That connection being that I got to be connected to this wonderful place right here. Faith Christian Center. Which led to another connection because I was connected to them initially and then connected to this house. Therefore, I was able to get connected with somebody else. Anybody ever heard of Pastor John and Anita Pfeffer? So you see how that initial connection years down the road resulted in another connection that was very, very significant to my life. And I got to tell you, when it comes to divine connections, you know why God does it? Because there's something in somebody that God wants you to receive from them. And there's something in you that God wants somebody to get from you. So God makes divine connections. And when you get connected to somebody, one thing to realize is that there is something inside of them that the Lord wants to transfer over to me. And if I'm going to be wise and not otherwise, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get out of this what the Lord has intended me to get. God does not make these kind of connections in vain. He does them with a, uh, he, he connects you with a designated purpose in mind. Why don't you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want you to realize in the context of what we're speaking about today that one of the most important connections that you'll ever have in your life is your pastor. One of the most important connections that you'll ever have in your life is your pastor. That's why it's important that you don't pick them. You allow the Lord to pick them. Because the Lord knows what's in him and the Lord knows what you need to get. And the Lord is very good at putting the two together. First Corinthians 4. Let's take a look at verse 15. It says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Let me tell you this morning, you and I need a daddy. And you can have many people that teach you. Paul said you can have 10,000 instructors in Christ. But you don't have many fathers. So you and I need a daddy. So look to someone next to you and say, who's your daddy? (laughs) Oh, we're having fun this morning now. Come on. So you see, as we're 
seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, where should I be? Who should I be connected with? Sometimes people make the mistake of going after what's hot. You know, what, what, what's hot? What's, uh, what, what seems to be the most, most happening place? Uh, some people look for uh, charisma. And charisma is good. But you never pick charisma over character. <laughs> character is more important than charisma. As a matter of fact, there are con men with charisma. So, you know, you can look for the bling bling and get the bling bling thinking you'll get a diamond and then you realize you're stuck with cubic zirconia. (laughs) You're going to be very disappointed. (laughs) Because you were looking for the flash and the bling bling and that's all you got. And then uh, realize, uh, well, there's not a whole lot of bling to the bling. But when you're looking for character, then you won't ever be deceived to just look at a label or, or look at a shiny can. You know you're getting a can that's full of the actual contents. Because character matters with who you're hooked up and connected with. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, Faith Christian Center is a wonderful place, but I'll tell you, Faith Christian Center is not the only church in the world. But, but at the same time, I've, I've seen this over and over throughout the years where, uh, you know, some sheep tend to have that tendency to, uh, you know, look over the, the fence at the other yard. And, and, and what happens sometimes, yeah, I guess it's kind of like this. They, they get to thinking that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. But then when they get over to the other side of the fence, they realize that it's astroturf and not even real green grass. <laughs> and when you're a sheep, when you're a sheep looking for some good green grass to eat, and you end up with turf? Yeah. It just don't taste as good. And so you know what? We're not the only church in the world. But if God's planted you here, if God's called you here, if God's connected you here, then you can go ahead and bloom and flourish right, right where you planted. And uh, what, what a blessing that is. And you see, one thing that's even in uh, Faith Christian Center's statement of purpose is that we're not in competition with other people who are dedicated to the same cause. As a matter of fact, when we have a chance to help somebody dedicated to the same cause, we're glad to help them. Because the body of Christ is big. The body of Christ is big, bigger than the body of Christ that you know. However, at the same time, if God's put you somewhere, God's called you somewhere, and you have the witness of the Spirit that you ought to be a certain place, then you ought to be there, dig your roots deep, and grow and flourish in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. 
You know, let me read something to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 in the Message Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 in the Message. It starts off like this. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. Pretty interesting statement. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. For we carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. In other words, let me say it to you like this. You might be looking for spectacular and miss supernatural. Because the vessel that was bringing the message didn't seem to be so. Didn't give you a goosebump. As a matter of fact, Paul said, if you look at us, you might just miss the brightness. Because the brightness is not in the man or the woman. The brightness is in the message and the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So it, it's, it needs to be settled in our hearts that God works through people. God works through imperfect people. God's gift is perfect, but God's perfect gift flows through imperfect vessels. However, that should not hinder us from receiving somebody as the gift of God that they are. Yeah, are they human? Sure, they're human. You're not going to find anybody on earth anointed by the Holy Ghost who's not human. You're not going to find anybody on earth anointed by the Holy Ghost who is perfect. Everyone you find, you're going to find imperfections with them. However, that does not need to be a hindrance to us. That cannot be a hindrance to us from receiving the gift that God has given to us in someone as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And in the context of what we're talking about, especially the ministry of the pastor. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4.11 Talking about gifts. How how many of us just need to get into the mode of realizing that our pastor is a gift to us? You you know, our our minds may not usually think that way. Well, the the pastor's the the one who gets up and speaks to us on Sunday morning. And, and, And if all he is is somebody who gets up and talks on Sunday morning, we're missing something very huge. Ephesians 4 says this, that Jesus, when he ascended on high, gave gifts to men. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
As a matter of fact, those of you that have been around a few years remember Pastor John spending a few Sundays in Ephesians chapter 4. Just a few. Just a few. (laughs) And with very good reason. Because it's all about the church being the church and the body being the body and everything being in place so that the kingdom of God through us can operate like a well-oiled machine. Every person in their place, every part working the way it's supposed to work because we've got the whole body cooperating with the Lord. Hallelujah. So talking about a pastor as a gift, let's talk about receiving the gift. Let's talk about receiving your pastor. Let me say this to you. There is a principle in scripture that we're going to look at. And the principle is this, that you receive from the one whom you receive. Let me say it to you again. You receive from the one whom you receive. Now, we'd like to to reverse that. We'd like to receive from somebody first and then receive them. But actually, according to the scripture, you are limited in what you can receive from one of God's gifts until you actually receive them as God's gift. As a matter of fact, uh, over in Luke, I'll give you a few references. There's a few of these we'll look at and some of them we'll just reference. But over in Luke 9, between uh, verse 51 and 56, Jesus and his followers are going through a village of the Samaritans. And the scripture clearly states that they did not receive him. So all these other places in scripture, you can go and see Jesus going into a town and you see signs and wonders and miracles and all wonderful things happening. But here, Jesus shows up is not received, and the end of that little passage just simply says, and so they went to another place, went to another village. So what happened where he wasn't received? Nothing. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zero. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because they did not receive him So they were hindered from receiving from him. We're going to make a case. Mark chapter 6, 1 through 5. This is Jesus in his hometown. He shows up, begins to teach in the synagogue. They get mad and said, who does he think he is? This is the carpenter's boy. This is the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and uh, Judas and Simon. His sisters are here with us. They were offended at him. They did not receive him. And so what happened? It says in verse 5 of that passage, that's Mark 6, 1 through 5, that he could there do no mighty work except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. In other words, he could do no mighty work 
You know, one preacher said, you know, maybe a few headaches and a few sniffles and that was about it. But Jesus was limited by doing what he wanted to do for these people. And the very reason why is because they did not receive him. And where they did not receive him, they could not receive from him. Luke 8, 40, let me read it to you real quick. It says this. It came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him. For they were all waiting for him. So here's the case where people gladly receive him. And what happens when you read the rest of that chapter, Luke chapter 8? You see two events happening that sound very familiar to us. You see the woman with the issue of blood getting healed. And you see Jairus' daughter getting raised from the dead. And interesting that it happened in an environment where Jesus was received. Oh, are you with me? So where he's not received, people can't receive from him. Where he is received, people do receive from him. As a matter of fact, Remember the story of Zacchaeus? The the little short tax collector over in Luke 19? You thank God for short people. Come on, y'all. Yeah. You know God likes short people because the Bible says, Lo, I am with you always. (laughs) Yeah. All right, enough of that. Zacchaeus, a tax collector, heard that Jesus was around, couldn't get a view of him, so he climbed the tree. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come on down, come out that tree. I'm going to your house to have dinner. And the scripture says, Luke chapter 19, we're in right, right between verses 1 and 10. That Zacchaeus gladly received him into his house. And what was the end result? Jesus made this statement. Salvation is come to this house. Where Jesus was received, Jesus could be received from. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Go to John 1. And while you're going there, let me make, mention to you the last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, another great example of this. Uh, Paul uh, uh, comes to a certain island, and there was a man there, his name is uh, uh, Publius. And it says that Publius received us, received Paul and, and all his traveling companions. So what happens as a result? Well, Publius has a sick father who gets healed. And then the scripture goes on to say that everybody else on the island who was sick came and got healed as well. Why? Because Paul was received. And therefore, where the gift was received, the gift could be received from. Are you in John 1? Oh, help me somebody. Look at this. Verse 10. 
he, talking about Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as he, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. But as many as received him, to them he gave. But as many as received him, to them he gave. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave. Well, didn't he want to give to everybody? Sure he wanted to give to everybody. But if you don't receive the gift, you hinder yourself from receiving from the gift. Or you greatly diminish what you can receive. Like what happened in Jesus' hometown. You know, he, he could just lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them, but it said he could there do no mighty works. He could do a little bit, but he couldn't do as much. They could receive a little bit, but they couldn't receive anywhere near what God wanted to get to them. Now, you got to see this. Go to Luke chapter 10. We're going somewhere with this. Glory be to God. I know when you first heard my title, you didn't you thought I no way I'm going to be shouting today, but believe me, when you really get something in the word, you can shout about anything. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 10. Look at uh, verse 38. Says, now it happened as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Are you ready? Listen closely. Martha received Jesus as a house guest and all she got was the privilege of cooking for him. Mary received Jesus as more than a house guest, but as someone with significant words to deposit into her heart and she received from him in accordance with how she received him. How do you receive your gift? Go to 1 Thessalonians. We know this. 
You want to maximize what you can receive from your pastor? You need to receive him as being the gift of God that he is. It's not for his benefit. Whose benefit is it for? It's for yours and mine. When we receive someone who is a gift from God as that gift, when we receive him as who they are, as a gift sent from God, a person anointed by the Holy Ghost to stand in a certain office, then we put ourselves in the position to receive from the gift. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So when your pastor stands and ministers to you, and you think, well, yeah, that's just a, that's John from Barrington. Then, then you're, you're missing something. Oh, I know him. Always be careful. And then the, it's something we all got to do. But one thing to look out for is familiarity. Which was the, the problem right there in Jesus' hometown. Because they knew him. We know your mama. We know your daddy. We know your brother, your sister, your cousins. We know you. And so that familiarity hindered them from being able to receive Jesus as who he really was. And when you come on a Sunday morning and listen to Pastor John minister, you can say, yep, yep, good word, good word, yep. Yeah, that, that was a nice little talk the pastor gave today. And if you're treating it like a nice little talk, boy, you're missing something. Because here, when they received Paul's ministry, it said they did not receive what he was saying as just the word of a man, but they recognized that he was a gift from God, that he was uh, uh, anointed by the Holy Ghost, called to stand in an office. So they recognized the voice of God speaking through the gift. How important it is for us, church, to recognize the voice of God speaking through the gift that God has given to us at Faith Christian Center. Because how you receive your pastor has a whole lot to do with what you receive from him. If you receive him as a guy who can get up and give a nice little talk, then you'll get nice little talks. But if you receive him as a gift from God, anointed with the Holy Ghost, called to pastor you, called to oversee you, called to look out for you, which means if he's called to look out for you, then God's going to give him some things that when he passes them on to you can sure help out your mess of a life. If you receive him as that, then you maximize. If you receive him as that gift, you maximize what you can receive from him. And to, to whom does that benefit go? It goes to you and it goes to me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
Well, how do you pray for your pastor? You got to receive him. But what about praying for him? Well, let, let me say this to you. <laughs> but back, back in the old days of uh, uh, Pentecost, some people would kind of jokingly pray this. Lord, you keep them humble, we'll keep them broke. And that is not the right way to pray for your pastor. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, some people do this, you know. You know, got their lazy bones sitting out in the chair somewhere in the congregation. And they say, now I lay me down to sleep. The sermon's getting long and deep. And if he's done before I wake, give my arm a little shake. That right there is also not a way to pray for your pastor. How do you pray for your pastor? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, let me give this to you. Second Thessalonians 3, 1 says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. Uh, one translation of that says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may uh, spread rapidly. What a great thing to pray for your pastor. That his message that he's got from the Lord is spreading rapidly. And impacting people. And going into places that, that you didn't think the message could go. Thank God, through the means of television, through the means of radio, through the means of the internet, there are people to whom the message can get to that we can't even imagine what kind of fix they're in. So to pray that the, the word of the Lord would spread rapidly, that it would run swiftly and be glorified. Talk about something to pray for your pastor what about Ephesians 1, 16 through 19, uh, the, the, the prayer that Paul had prayed for the church there? I tell you, you'd make your pastor feel real good when you pray for him, that the Lord would give unto him the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of his understanding would be enlightened to know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Because if the spirit of wisdom and revelation is working in him. And then you're the one who sits under him. Guess what? You get the immediate benefit of the prayer that you prayed. Because the spirit of wisdom and revelation that has given him revelation is also in turn giving you revelation. Glory to God. You know, Ephesians 6, verse 19, Paul said, pray for me that utterance would be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So think about this. You've got the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of his understanding being enlightened. We've got utterance and boldness. Colossians 4, 3, that God would open us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Opportunities to speak. Opportunities to get the word out. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, uh, why don't you go to Colossians 1? Let's take a look at a few things over there. But I want to mention to you Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And in there, 
Paul prayed for the church and said this, I, I pray that your love would abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And it goes on from there as well. But think about you praying for your pastor to approve things that are excellent. By so doing, you're really praying about his decision making. That if it's excellent, he'd approve. And that if it's not excellent, he would disapprove. By praying that prayer, you are actually praying for his decision making. That he would only put his approval on the things that are excellent. And if it's not excellent, he won't approve. You bless your pastor and you put yourself in good standing by praying that for your pastor. Are you in Colossians? Uh, we're going to look at some of these prayers a little further. How to pray for your pastor. This is a responsibility that is upon the sheep to pray for their pastor. Verse 9 of Colossians 1. Says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So many things in there we can hit, but the one thing I want to focus in on is the very first part of the prayer to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding for the pastor to know God's will regarding the direction of the church. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's important, huh? <laughs> Would you agree with me? By the church praying that for the pastor, that he's filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, it puts him in a position where he's not a blind leader, but he's leading with clarity of vision, knowing exactly what to do, where to go, what step to take, what step not to take, and to lead the church into the will of God for that particular body of believers, into the destiny for that body of believers, because he would know what is the will of God and have wisdom and spiritual understanding. Who benefits? We benefit. You're right there in Colossians. Look at chapter 4. Talk about praying about the will of God. Look at verse uh, 12 of chapter 4. Paul said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, 
always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. What a thing to pray for your pastor. That he would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Because in turn, if he is, and he's leading you in that direction, you, you see how it works? You see how this not only benefits the one for whom you're praying, but you get a whole lot of benefit because you're the one who's serving under the pastor. So when the pastor gets revelation, you get revelation. When the pastor gets wisdom, you get wisdom. When the pastor gets spiritual understanding, you get spiritual understanding. And when the pastor is walking in the will of God and seeing the will of God clearly and the, uh, uh, the destiny of God for the church clearly, then you and me, in turn, get to see the will of God clearly, the destiny clearly, not just for the whole church, but also for our own individual lives. Glory to God. Now, th- this is something I need to say to you. When you pray for your pastor to have wisdom, <laughs> And then he makes a decision that you don't agree with. Do you still have faith that the Lord answered your prayer? Or then do you uh, only believe that he heard your prayer if he did things your way? See, see, first of all, I've realized this, that the, the, the folks who complain the most are not the folks who pray. As a matter of fact, there's people that always got something to say about something. They ain't praying. It's like you, you, you want to, you try to be nice, but you know what you want to say? You want to say, if you ain't praying, shut up. <laughs> if you ain't praying, nobody want to hear what you got to say. <sighs> but when you pray for your pastor to have wisdom, and then he makes a decision you don't agree with, do you still believe that the Lord heard your prayer? Let's be consistent now. As a matter of fact, during the process of things, are there things that are going to happen in a church family, in a church body, that you're just is not going to be your favorite thing? Guarantee you. Guarantee you. Why? Because you're an imperfect person dealing with other imperfect people. So something will rub you the wrong way. But since we're talking about praying for our pastor, let me ask you the question. When something rubs you the wrong way, you have a choice to make. Do you take it to the phone or do you take it to the throne? Come on, somebody. Do you take it to the phone? Say, do you hear about that? You hear what he said? You hear what he did? Well, Mabel, I just can't believe it. Do you take it to the phone? Or do you take it to the throne? 
My, my, my. Because it is the responsibility of the sheep to speak faith-filled words over their pastor and over their local church. As a matter of fact, you know that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written as our examples. The Bible makes that clear. So, let me ask you this. But when you look at the the congregation out in the wilderness, (laughs) what, what was the thing folks got in most trouble for with God? Was complaining. Because they took it to the phone instead of taking it to the throne. And you know, I'll tell you what. I don't want to be one who would allow words to escape my lips that would cause an atmosphere that's anything but a holy atmosphere. I don't want words to escape my lips that would cause anything to come into the air or anything to come into someone else's spirit that's not pure and right in the sight of God. I want the words that escape my lips to be those that bless the pastor, bless the local church, bless my brothers and sisters, and in turn, bless me. Because how important are the words that we speak? So therefore, what we pray and what we say regarding our pastor and our local church is so important. Because when you're saying what's right, And when you're saying what God would instruct you to say and praying what God would instruct you to pray, it keeps you right. It keeps me right. It keeps us on center. It keeps us focused. And therefore, when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, it allows our pastor to keep doing what he's supposed to be doing. And when everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's amazing how well this thing works. Glory to God. Come on, give him praise this morning. Amen. Hallelujah.